Blog Talk Radio.
Greetings, this is Abayomi Azikawais, and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine. It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawais. Today is Saturday, uh, July 22nd, uh, 2023. Uh, We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to another edition uh, of uh, the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast. Later on in our program, we'll be bringing you our regular Pan-African Newswire report. We'll have dispatches on the usage of cluster munitions supplied by the United States to Ukraine. The African National Congress Women's League is holding its National Executive Conference in the Republic of South Africa this weekend. Zimbabwe President Emerson Mnangagwa will participate in the upcoming Russia-Africa Summit being held soon in St. Petersburg. And Ghana farmers are working to improve productivity in the agricultural sector of the economy. In the second hour, we look back on the 60th anniversary of the publication of The Fire Next Time by African-American novelist, essayist, and public intellectual James Baldwin. Finally, we review uh, the ANC's Women's League National Elective Conference taking place this weekend in uh, the Republic of South Africa. These and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program. So stay tuned. Uh, We'll take our musical interlude uh, with the music of uh, West Africa from the country of Cote d'Ivoire with uh, the legendary Alpha Blondie. Samu, Takendula.
baigner à blanc pour nous, ses petits-enfants. Il a consacré sa vie pour nous, ses petits. Faut pas demander au bon Dieu sa barbe. Faut pas demander au bon Dieu sa barbe.
Welcome back, and uh, that was uh, the classic uh, music of Alpha Blondie from the West African state of Cote d'Ivoire. That was uh, the album Apartheid is Nazism in its entirety, and you're listening to the Pan-African Journal, Worldwide Radio Broadcast, and uh, we're here today, Saturday, July 22nd, uh, 2023. We're broadcasting live from our studios in uh, downtown Detroit. Let's thank all of our listeners for tuning in uh, once again uh, to yet another edition of the Pan-African Journal. Right now we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire report. Our lead story uh, deals with the current military situation in Ukraine. In the past 24 hours, according to uh, the Russian state media, Russian armed forces intercepted 15 HIMARS, multiple launch rocket system munitions, one storm shadow cruise missile, and 15 Ukrainian drones. Uh, Russian Defense Ministry spokesman Lieutenant General Igor Konoshenkov said this uh, earlier today, according to the spokesman, since the beginning of the special military operation, Ukraine has lost 456 aircraft, 43 helicopters, 5,169 drones, 426 missile air defense systems, 10,811 uh, tanks and other armored vehicles, 1,139 multiple launch rocket systems, 5,562 field artillery guns and mortars, and 11,803 special military automobile vehicles. And um, in other news uh, taking place, uh, the wounds of journalists and the death of RIA Novosti correspondent Rostilov Zirovlev in a Ukrainian cluster munition strikes proved that the assurances of the Americans and Ukrainians about the non-use of these weapons against civilians are lies, and therefore both Kiev and Washington equally share responsibility for this crime. Russian Federation Council Deputy Speaker Konstantin Koshekov uh, Kosashev said uh, this earlier today, quote, the use of cluster munitions is inhumane and must be excluded uh, from combat practices. 
and all the assurances of the Americans and Ukrainians that they are not planning to use these weapons against non-combatants turned out to be blatant lies. The responsibility for this crime falls equally on Ukraine and the United States, the senator wrote on his Telegram channel. Osashev said that the reports about the death of a journalist was, quote, horrifying news, end quote. Quote, we mourn alongside the family, friends, and colleagues of Rostoloslav Zervavlev. It's extremely tragic, but simultaneously exhausting evidence that Ukrainian military cliques and their patrons do not have any moral constraints. The deputy speaker of the upper house of Russia's parliament said, the Russian defense minister reported that four Izvestia and an RIA Novista journalist suffered wounds earlier today uh, during the afternoon as a result of a Ukrainian cluster munition strike on the Zaporizhia region. Zorovlev died from his wounds during evacuation. The other journalist's condition is stable. And, of course, um, in other news uh, taking place uh, around the world, uh, in the uh, Republic of South Africa, the African National Congress Women's League is set to vote uh, new le- in, in new leadership uh, this evening following a grossly uh, delayed conference. The event was scheduled to wrap up tomorrow uh, following a weekend of discussions over policies and the election of a new executive committee. The ANC policies adopted at its national conference last year are meant to find a gendered expression through the Women's League uh, during the course of the conference. However, following long delays, similar to those at the ANC's 55th Congress conference and the Youth Ladies Conference just a few weeks ago, uh, the women will only manage to just elect new leaders. The party Secretary General Fakili Mbalula said there was simply no time. Mbalula said the league will figure out when and how to deal with its discussion documents. You may want to say it's just an elective conference. Yes, let me tell you, it is because the Women's League does not have leadership. Meanwhile, former Women's League President Batabili Kwamini is believed to have joined forces with Tembeka Mshuno, uh, who emerged as a third wave. Uh, this is a threat to Sisi Tulashi, uh, who had been a front runner in this race for several months. You're listening to the Pan-African Newswire segment of uh, the Pan-African Journal. Also, uh, President uh, Emerson Mnangagwa of the Republic of Zimbabwe will attend the second Russia-Africa Summit and the Russia-Africa Economic and Humanitarian Forum to be held in St. Petersburg, Russia, on July 27-28. Bavit Muigo, a spokesperson in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and International Trade, uh, gave this uh, statement yesterday. Muigo uh, said Zimbabwe and Russia would sign cooperation agreements during the forum. The forum presents an opportunity to exchange notes on bilateral and international issues of mutual interest and concern. It also serves as a significant event in bolstering our relations further, he said. Leveraging on the foundations of the inaugural Russia-Africa Summit, which was held in Sochi in the Russian Federation uh, in October of 2019, the imminent economic and humanitarian forum will present an opportunity to further enhance cooperation, Mujigo said. And finally, in the West African state of Ghana, Dr. Charles 
Nayaba, executive director of the Peasant Farmers Association of Ghana, has called on the government to invest heavily in irrigation development as a risk mitigation measure. This would encourage young people and other private investors to go into commercial agriculture. Dr. Nayaba was speaking on the 17th International Monetary Fund bailout and considerations for the 2023 mid-year budget review, the perspective of the agricultural sector in Accra. The executive director told the GNA, the Ghana News Agency, that the reason uh, for the high cost of vegetables such as tomatoes, garden eggs, and pepper, was over-reliance on importation due to poor irrigation infrastructure and storage systems. This infrastructure is put in place. Uh, farmers who are business-oriented will go into production, he said. Dr. Nayaba said agriculture will remain the backbone of all other sectors and must be supported to lead in the economic trans- transformation of developing Ghana beyond aid. And uh, finally, uh, in the uh, southern African, uh, in the East African state of Rwanda, Rwanda National Agricultural Exhibit uh, opened uh, two days ago with various technologies and innovations geared to improve farming production were on display, held at the Mulindi showgrounds in the capital of Kigali. Uh, the exhibition is organized by the Rwandan Ministry of Agriculture and Animal Resources. The annual event uh, will run through July the 29th under the theme, Transforming Agriculture into a Resilient and Competitive Sector Through Technology, Innovation, and Investment. The exhibition brings together farmers, agribusinesses, research institutions, agro-industry, and finance institutions, and other stakeholders to showcase technologies, solutions to challenges, and the best practices in the agricultural sector, the ministry said in a statement. Uh, Patrick Karangwa, Director General of the Agricultural Modernization at the Ministry, told reporters the exhibition is in line with the country's livestock and agricultural transformation agenda. With that, uh, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of uh, the Pan-African Journal. Concluding this segment of our program, we'd like to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998. Since that time period, it has published tens of thousands of articles and dispatches in hundreds of newspapers, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to the Pan-African Newswire, so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day. Uh, all you need to do is log on to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And uh, if you'd like to have access to this program uh, for today, 22nd, uh, 2023, all you need to do is go to our website at the Pan African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of our program.
Welcome back. That was the sound of uh, Motown's Brenda Holloway, and uh, that track was entitled How Many Times Did You Mean It? And um, you're listening to the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast for Saturday, July 22nd, uh, 2023. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. We'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in uh, to another edition of our program. We want to look back uh, on the 60th anniversary of the release of The Fire Next Time, uh, the book of essays uh, by James Baldwin uh, that was released in 1963 uh, at the height of the mass mobilizations uh, surrounding these anti-segregation, civil rights, and anti-racist movement in the United States. Let's listen uh, to uh, this archived uh, presentation. Uh, related to uh, the fire next time. Hi, I'm Brian DeShazer, Director of the Pacifica Radio Archives, and welcome to From the Vault, our weekly series that brings our history out of the vault and onto the radio. Today we continue our celebration of Black History Month with another treasure from the Archives collection that has been recently restored for this broadcast thanks to a grant from the American Archive funded by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and from Pacifica listeners. We're going to dedicate this program to an entire speech by author and essayist James Baldwin. I prefer to believe that since a society is created by men, it can be remade by men. The price for this transformation is high. White people will have to ask themselves precisely why they found it necessary to invent a nigger. We have featured the African-American writer James Baldwin before on From the Vault, and today we present another extraordinary instance of Mr. Baldwin on Pacifica Radio as the African-American sought identity and definition in a world changing before them. The time is April or May of 1963. His book, The Fire Next Time, had just been released and he is on the road speaking to churches, high schools, Masonic temples, universities, and at Pacifica Radio, both in Berkeley, California, New York, and Los Angeles. In April and May of 1963, Birmingham, Alabama, was where the fire was being fueled by white supremacy, where confrontations between African Americans and the police took a violent turn when fire hoses and dogs were released on the people demanding equality. This was just months before the 1963 March on Washington, where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his I Have a Dream speech. This program contains Baldwin referring to the African American as Negro and uses the N-word once. We present this program unedited and unvarnished, as an example of an era not so far in the distant past, but so close that many of you remember when these terms were not as inflammatory as they are today. Here, Baldwin addresses the congregation of the Second Baptist Church in Los Angeles with a talk he entitles, The Free and the Brave. Well, you better let my I want you to somehow make a certain leap with me. I have one more quotation I want to give you. And this comes from Nietzsche. It comes from Dusk Bakedar Fustra, I think. 
but it's been on my mind all week long. At some point, the man says, I stand before my highest mountain, and before my longest journey, and therefore must I descend deeper than I have ever before descended. Now, there are several thousand things that one has got to say in the context that we're speaking, out of which we're speaking. And I suppose the first thing that I have to suggest is that one consider the fact that in the life of a man, the life of a woman, in anybody's life, there are several elements always at work. But the crucial element I want one to consider here is that element of a life which we consider to be an identity. The way in which one puts oneself together the way one imagines oneself to be, the reality, for example, the invented reality, standing before you now, arbitrarily called Jimmy Baldwin, who contains a great many other things. We have agreed. We have succeeded in striking a certain kind of bargain with the world. This is his name, and this is what he does, and this is who he is. Okay, but that's not it. Beneath that, forever, for everybody, is something else. It's a stranger, the stranger with whom one is forced to deal day in and day out, forced, in fact, to discover, forced, in fact, to create as distinct from invent. Life demands of everyone a certain kind of humility, the humility to be able to make the descent that Nietzsche was talking about. There, is, there are two ways, I think. I think there are two ways only to achieve a life or a nation. Let us consider, I'll be personal, because I think it may be the easiest way for me to say it, and the whole business of communication or communion, really, is to find some common term to make something mean to you some roughly what it means to me. In my life, as I am sure in your life, when one is young, one supposes that there is some way to avoid disaster. If I can spell that out, I mean that when one is young, when I was a little boy, for example, I used to tell my mother, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there. I'm going to be a writer, I'm going to be a fireman. I'm going to do, 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 be this. And Mama would look at me and she would say, it's more than a notion. It took me a long time, a very long time, to begin to realize that she was right and begin to realize what she meant. I, like all of us, 
thought I knew what I wanted, and thought I knew who I was, and thought that I could do it, and we all do this, whatever it was I wanted, wherever I wanted to go, I thought that I could do it <coughs> without paying my dues. Because of all the things that one cannot imagine, especially when one's young, is how to pay your dues. You're, you don't even know there are dues to be paid. And later on, one begins to discover, and with great pain, and very much against one's will, that if you want something, whatever it is you want, and whatever it is you want at bottom must be to become yourself. There is nothing else to want. Whatever that is, however, whatever that journey is, One's got to accept the fact that disaster is a condition under which you will make it, the journey I mean, not make it in the American sense. <laughs> and you will learn a certain humility because the terms that you've invented, which you think describe and define you, inevitably collide with the facts of life. And when this collision occurs, and make no mistake, this is an absolutely inevitable collision. When this collision occurs, like two trains in a tunnel, one's got the choice and it's a very narrow choice of holding on to your definition of yourself or saying as the old folks used to say and as everybody who wants to live has to say yes Lord which means to say yes to life until you can do that you have not become a man or a woman. Now in this country, part of the dilemma, which could become a tragedy, of being what is known somewhat arbitrarily as an American, The collective effort, until this moment, and the collective delusion, until this moment, has been precisely my delusion when I was a little boy, that you could get what you wanted and become what you said you were going to be, painlessly. Furthermore, if one examines for a second, or if one tries to define the proper noun American, 
One will discover, first of all, that to be an American means a catalog of virtues. We have something called I Am an American Day, which I gather is meant to reassure everybody. And to be an American in these terms apparently means, check me out, you think about it. <laughs> apparently means that though Greeks, Armenians, Turks, Frenchmen, Englishmen, Scotch, Scotsmen, Italians may be corrupt, sexual, unpredictable, lazy, evil, a little lower than the angels. <laughs> we are not. <laughs> Quite overlooking the fact that the country was settled by Englishmen, Scots, Germans, Turks, and Armenians, a little later to be sure. Every nation under heaven is here. And not, after all, for a very long time. I think that it might be useful in order to survive our present crisis to do what any individual does, is forced to do, to survive his crisis, which is to look back on his beginnings. The beginnings of this country, it seems to be, it's a banality to say it, but alas, it has to be said. The beginnings of this, of this country have nothing whatever to do with the myth we have created about it. The country did not come about because a handful of people in Europe, various parts of Europe, said, I want to be free, and probably built a boat or a raft <laughs> and crossed the Atlantic Ocean. Not at all. Not at all. In passing, let me remark that the word liberty the word freedom are terribly misused words. Liberty is a fact which is also used as a slogan and freedom may be the very last thing that people want. The very last thing. Anyway, the people who settled the country the people who came here came here for one reason, no matter how disguised. They came here because they thought it would be better here than where they were. That's why they came. And that's the only reason that they came. Anybody who was making it in England 
did not get on the Mayflower. This is important. It is important that one begin to recognize this because part of the dilemma of this country is that it has managed to believe the myth it has created about its own past. Which is another way of saying that it is entirely not denied its past. And we all know, if we think about it, what happens to a person who is born, let us say, where I was born, in Harlem, and goes to the world pretending he was born in certain place. How odd this may sound. Also happens to a nation. A nation being, when it finally comes into existence, the achievement of the people who make it up. And the quality of the nation being absolutely at the mercy, defined, dictated by the nature and the quality of the people who make it up. In this extraordinary endeavor, to create the country called America. A great many crimes were committed. Now I want to make it absolutely clear or as clear as I can make it that I understand perfectly well that crime is universal and common. And I trust that no one will assume that I am indicting or accusing. I'm not any longer interested in the crime. People treat each other very badly and always have and very probably always will. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about denying what one does, which is a much more sinister matter. We did several things in order to conquer the country. There was, at the point we reached these shores, a group of people who had never heard of machines, or as far as I know, of money. I think we would call them now a backward nation. And we promptly eliminated them. We killed them. I'm talking about the Indians, in case you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, people have done this for centuries, but I hazard, I'll bet you, as you say in Hall, I'm a fat man, that not many American children being taught. American history have any real sense of what that collision was like 
or what we really did, how we really achieved the extermination of the Indian, or what that meant. And it is interesting to consider that very few social critics, none to my knowledge, but I say very few, have begun even to analyze the hidden reasons that the cowboy and Indian legend is still one of the most popular legends in American life, so popular that it still, in 1963, dominates the television screen. And I suppose, to finish off that particular item or to close it for the moment, that all those cowboy and Indian stories <coughs> are designed to reassure us that no crime was committed. <laughs> We've made a legend out of a massacre. In which connection, if I may for a moment, digress. There used to be an old joke running around among Negroes. If you remember the Lone Ranger, I think he had a, I think he had a sidekick called Tonto. An Indian. There's always a good Indian. He rode around with <laughs> he, rode, he rode around the Lone Ranger and according to my version of the story, the version I heard, um, Tonto and the Lone Ranger ran into this ambush of nothing but Indians. And the Lone Ranger said, what are we going to do, Tonto? And Thomas said, what do you mean, we? <laughs> now slavery, like murder, is one of the oldest human institutions. So we cannot quarrel about the fact of slavery. That is to say we could, but it's, that's another story. But we enslaved him because In order to conquer the country, we had to have cheap labor. And the man who is now known as the American Negro, who is one of the oldest of American citizens, and the only one who never wanted to come here <laughs> did the dirty work. Hold the cotton. Do you hold cotton? No. Chopped cotton, whatever you do, cotton. Pick cotton. <laughs> Line track. Helped, in fact, I think it is not too strong a statement to say, but let me put it this way. Without his presence, without that strong back, 
the American economy, the American nation, would have had a vast amount of trouble creating its capital. If then, if one had not had the cat toting the bars and listening to the bales, as we put it, it would be a very different country, and it would certainly be much poorer. And that's all right. But the people I'm speaking of who settled the country had a fatal flaw. They could see, they could recognize a man when they saw one. They knew he wasn't I mean, you can tell. They knew he wasn't anything else but a man. But since they were Christian, and since they had already decided that they came here to establish a free country, and some of them really meant it, by the way, the only way to justify the role this chattel was playing in one's life was to say that he was not a man. Because if he wasn't a man, then no crime had been committed. That is the basis. That lie is the basis of our present trouble, because that is an extremely complex lie. If on the one hand, one man cannot avoid recognizing another man, it is also true then, obviously, that the man, the black man, who was in captivity, and treated like an animal, and told that he was one, knew that he was a man, and knew that something was wrong. When we got here, those of us who survived the Middle Passage, let me tell you a very small anecdote. I was in Dakar about a year ago in Senegal, And just off Dakar, there is a very small island called Gore, which was once the property of the Portuguese. And it's simply a rock with a fortress. It is the nearest, from Africa, the nearest point to America. On this island, my sister and I went to this island they had something called the slave house and we went there to visit it. And the house is not terribly large. Looks a little like houses you see in New Orleans. <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> it's about two stories, 
courtyard, staircase on each side, stone staircase. And the bottom section, which is the first story, I assume that the captains and the slavers were upstairs. Downstairs were the slave quarters, which were, you walked through a kind of archway on either side of you, very dark, very low, and this is made of stone, were a series of cells on either side, stone floor, still rusted iron in the walls. It seemed to me, well, this may be my imagination, but it seemed to me that I could still smell it, what it must have smelled like with all those human beings chained together in such a place. And remember, they could not speak to each other because they didn't come from the same tribe. On either side, as I say, they are the, in this corridor, there are the cells. But straight ahead of you, you come into this, this archway and straight ahead of you is a very much smaller doorway made of stone which opens on the sea. You go to the edge of the door and you look down and at your feet are some black stones in the form of the Atlantic Ocean bubbling up against you. And the day that I was there, that we were there, I tried, but it's impossible. Because the ocean is just the horizon. I tried to imagine what it must have felt like to find yourself chained and speechless, no serious sense of that word, on your way, where? You are listening to The Free and the Brave, a speech by James Baldwin on From the Vault. For more information or to get a copy of this program or other programs in this series, visit us online at fromthevaultradio.org or call us toll-free at 1-800-735-0230. You can research our collection at pacificaradioarchives.org. And now back to our program. In this next segment, we listen to author James Baldwin field questions from the Congregation of the Second Baptist Church in Los Angeles, April 1963. It was the black man's necessity once he got here to accept the cross, to somehow manage to outwit his Christian master, because what he faced when he got here was really the Bible and the gun. And that's all right, too. What is terrible in it is the fact that American white men are not prepared, first of all, to believe, for example, my version of this story, to believe that it happened. In order to avoid 
believing that, they have set up in themselves a fantastic system of evasions, denials, and justifications, which destroyed, or is about to destroy, their grasp of reality, which is another way of saying their moral sense. What I'm trying to say is that the crime is not the most important thing here. What makes our situation serious is that we have spent so many generations pretending that it did not happen. If you doubt me, ask yourself on what assumption rests, on what assumptions rest those extraordinary questions that white men ask. No matter how politely, on what assumption rests the question, would you let your sister marry? <laughs> it's based on some preoccupation in somebody's mind. God knows, you know, I have never given any evidence of having a particular problem. I'm not interested in marrying your sister, my God. <laughs> I mean that. On what assumption, on what assumption, again, rests the extraordinary question, what does a Negro want? This again comes out of some extraordinary preoccupation in the mind. Something entirely, if I may say so, divorced from reality. It's like saying, what to see you eat or, I don't know, it's as unreal as unreal can be. When a baby cries, you don't ask the baby what it wants. You find out, you know, you change the baby's diaper. That's what you do, you know. You don't run to your next door neighbor and say, what does my baby want? <laughs> now let's go back for a minute to where I started. Let's go back to Nietzsche. I stand before my highest mountain and before my longest journey. And therefore, must I descend deeper than I've ever before descended. And we spoke a little earlier about the necessity when the collision between your terms and life occurs of saying yes to life. That's the descent. The difference between a boy and a man is that a boy imagines 
there is some way to get through life safely. And a man knows he's got to pay his dues. In this country, the entire nation has always assumed that I would pay their dues for them. What it means to be a Negro in this country is that you represent, you are the receptacle of, you are the vehicle of all the pain, disaster, and sorrow which white Americans think they can escape. This is what is meant, really what is meant, by keeping the Negro in its place. It is why white people until today are still astounded and offended if by some miscalculation they are forced to suspect that you are not happy in your place. <laughs> this is absolutely true. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about the Deep South. People finally say to you, but you're so bitter. country for a dangerously long time. Two levels of experience. One, to put it cruelly, but I think quite truthfully, can be summed up in the image of Doris Day and Gary Cooper. I think you know, I think you know what they do. <laughs> and the other, subterranean, indispensable, but denied, which can be summed up, let us say, in the tone of Ray Charles. And there's never been in this country any real confrontation between these two realities. Let me force you, or try to force you, to observe the paradox. Though all, though all white Americans, in essence, essentially came from Europe, it is only American Negroes whom Europe understands. Let me spell it out. When American Negroes in Europe, he and the people whom he finds himself among are able to establish dialogue which white Americans have great difficulty establishing if they ever do. And the reason is very simple. The European and the black American know what it is to suffer. And Americans don't. Now the bill for this endeavor to get from the cradle to the grave, looking like Eisenhower, 
has now come in. White people are astounded by Birmingham. Black people aren't. White people are endlessly demanding to be reassured that Birmingham is really on Mars. <laughs> they don't want to believe, still less to act on the belief, that what is happening in Birmingham, now I mean this, and I am not exaggerating, there are several thousand ways to kill a man. There's several, several thousand ways to be violent. They don't want to realize that there is not one step, one inch, morally or actually, there is no distance between Birmingham and Los Angeles. entirely possible that we may all go under but until that happens I prefer to believe that since a society is created by men it can be remade by men the price for this transformation is high. White people will have to ask themselves precisely why they found it necessary to invent a nigger. Because they invented him for reasons out of necessities of their own. And every white citizen of this country will have to accept the fact that he is not innocent because those dogs and those hoses, those crimes are being committed in your name. Black people well we have to do something very hard too, but they've done it some of it already, which is to allow the white citizen. his first awkward steps toward maturity. But we have functioned in this country precisely that way for a very long time. We were the first psychiatrists in this country. <laughs> if we can hang on just a little bit longer, all of us, 
We may make it. We've got to try. And I think that those are the conditions. Thank you. First, I must report that there were over a hundred questions asked, and we selected those that we thought uh, were more pertinent, and also that those that uh, we, we uh, put aside those who were duplicates. The first one, Mr. Baldwin, reads: Could you please comment on the Muslim situation and the significance of their movement? The question about the Muslim movement posed to James Baldwin in this 1963 visit to the Second Baptist Church in Los Angeles is interesting in that in 1961, just a few years prior to that, James Baldwin debated Malcolm X on a program called Muslims versus the Sit-ins and is preserved in the Pacifica Radio Archives. The significance of the Muslim movement, it would seem to me, first of all, well, it's, this, is a, this is a complicated question and a complicated answer. A, the Muslim movement came about, exists, and begins to flourish because the American Republic has never honored any of its promises, repeat, any of its promises, to its black citizens. That is its first significance to me, in my mind. It has another significance. It is, at the moment, probably the only way that a black boy or a black girl let me go back it is probably if not the only way one of the only ways that a black boy or a black girl can be invested with a pride in the fact of being black and this is extremely important The entire country, having lied, in fact, the entire white civilization, having lied about black people so long, until this very, until this very moment, this was absolutely inevitable. Now, I have no objection to those, to that. See. This begins my objection. I am perfectly aware, or imperfectly aware, but I was born in a ghetto, raised there, and in fact I never left it. Really, no Negro ever does, if he stays in this country. I am perfectly aware, I think, of the demoralization and the despair and the destruction which is being bred in those ghettos 
every single hour of every single day. And I know how hard it is for any black person in this country to arrive at any sense of his own value. And yet, there are two ways to arrive at this sense. And this is perhaps rather subtle. I don't think it is, but perhaps it is. Anyway, I think one of them is false and one of them is true. What white people have done for all these generations is lie about themselves. And they put on the color of their skin a totally false value. They have said, in effect, for 2,000 years, they are better than everyone else in the world because they are white. And look at them. Look at the result. The spiritual, the actual, the political result is nothing more or less than a moral and a spiritual bankruptcy. Because it is not true that the color of the skin has any importance at all in a human life. Now I know that it seems to, and I know that people have perished because of the color of their skin. But it is not because of the color of their skin, really. It is because of the value placed on it. It is because of what it means in the eyes of someone else or in their own eyes. I want, from the very bottom of my heart, that black people in this country arrive at a real sense of who they are. And I, I also understand that life being what it is, and power being what it is, that it is entirely possible that the world will have to align itself for the next 2,000 years on the basis of color with the roles reversed. Speaking only for myself, I would not like to see this happen. Speaking for myself, my objective to the Muslim movement is twofold. I do not see that they have an articulate program, by which I mean such things as a rent strike in harm. I mean a real revolution. And I do not want my nephew or my brother or my son to begin to believe that he is better than white people because he is black. I don't think that one needs to invent, I do not think the Negro people in this country have any need to invent a reason to be proud. They have achieved already, I know this is a hard thing, but this is true. They have achieved and endured and survived and triumphed over and turned to their advantage already. One of the cruelest inflictions in the history of mankind. I think that we have every right to be proud, to be proud that our mothers and our fathers that our mothers and our fathers, our, in fact, our forebears, carried washing on their heads, and even to be proud, I hope you understand what I mean, that they knew how to say yes sir and no ma'am and get what they wanted anyway, that they outwitted this civilization to the extent They are rid of this civilization to the extent that they took that cross, they took that cross and made it something it had never been before 
in this country and they took that anguish and turned it into music and they are the only people in this country on the basis of the evidence who have been able to produce children to walk through mobs to get to school they are the only people in this country so far as a body who seem to have any sense of what America is about and the American Revolution, if I may say so, depends entirely at the moment on their energy. Now this is a tremendous heritage and I would not like to throw it away for an invented one. Is there a relationship between the African independence movement and the present-day struggles of the Negro people in the United States today? That's a complex question, too. And it's mainly a question which the American government is determined not to face. We are living, whether or not J. Edgar Hoover likes it, in an age of revolution. There's nothing any of us can do about that except say no or say yes. The 20 million Negroes in this country are not only involved and profoundly involved with the events, the revolution in Africa, but with the revolution all over the world we have made, for the reasons I tried to outline when I was talking to you earlier, the profound mistake of thinking that when we speak, only we are listening. We have made the extraordinary mistake of assuming that what we think Cuba is, is what Cuba is. I don't know and this is, this is really what Bobby Kennedy has in mind when he always, when he asks for a cooling off period so he won't be embarrassed for the Russians. <laughs> I don't know, speaking honestly, for example, and this is a very important example, but it's only an example. There are many, 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 many others that we can't stay here all night. I don't know so far a single Negro who knows for what reason he would go to Cuba to free the Cubans. <laughs> the next two questions I will ask Mr. Baldwin to ask uh, together. The first one, what specific action can the Caucasian American take to achieve full human dignity? The next one, what specific political action can the Negro take to achieve full human dignity? I don't want to be, I don't want to sound cruel. I'm not trying to be malicious and I'm not trying to be clever. But it seems to me the first question especially 
What specific action can the Caucasian American take to achieve full human dignity? It occurs to me as being somewhat pathetic. I mean that. If I may be allowed to be rude for a moment. Not very rude, but I'm trying to make a point. It reminds me of those people who run to doctors or other friends or I don't know, you know. Anyway, the question comes up, what should I tell my child about sex? <laughs> and I always think, don't you know yet? I don't think, if I may be harsh, that any white American has the right to such innocence. If you don't know what action you should take to achieve full human dignity, God knows I can't tell you. And the second question, what specific action, etc., can the American Negro take to achieve full human dignity, is allied to the first. Because obviously, if you don't know what you should do to become a human being, you can't imagine what I should do to become a human being. <laughs> and it is part of our dilemma that such questions can be asked. The question has to be asked of someone else, not of me, of you. My son is seven and a half years old, a Negro. He thinks white people are greater than we are. What do I say? <laughs> That's a hard question. And again, I don't want to sound harsh. But it would seem to me that the question betrays a certain insecurity on in the part of the woman or the man who asked it. If your child of seven and a half thinks white people are greater than we are, it can't yet be because of white people, so it must be because of you. So the only way to answer your kid's question is for you, I suspect, to cease trying to be white. <laughs> and that does it for this week's From the Vault. We'd like to thank Lorenz Graham for recording the James Baldwin speech back in 1963 for Pacifica Radio. If you would like to join our campus campaign sponsoring school libraries across the country, visit us online at pacificaradioarchives.org or call us toll-free in the archives 1-800-735-0230. This program is written and produced by Mark Torres and Brian DeShazer. The series is executive produced by the Pacifica Radio Archives and your host, Brian DeShazer. 
From the Vault is presented as part of the Pacifica Radio Archives Preservation and Access Project, which is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts, the American Archive, funded by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, past grants from the Grammy Foundation, the Ford Foundation, and partnerships with UC Berkeley Moffett Library and from Pacifica Station listeners. Our theme music is by Kevin Drum Holiday. Thanks for listening and keeping our history alive. Welcome back. And that was archived uh, addresses uh, by James Baldwin uh, from 60 years ago, 1963, uh, commemorating the release of The Fire Next Time, uh, one of Baldwin's uh, finest literary works. And uh, that book is still available uh, for reading, review, analysis. You're listening to the Pan-African Journal, Worldwide Radio Broadcast. I'm your host, uh, Abayomi Azikwe. Today is Saturday, July 22nd, 2023, and we are broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of our program for uh, this week. Bye. 
Fleurs uh, by Minnie Ripperton uh, from the album entitled Come to My Garden. And uh, this is the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast. And we're here Saturday, uh, July 22nd, uh, 2023. And we're broadcasting from downtown Detroit. And uh, right now we want to go to the Republic of South Africa uh, for the African National Congress uh, Women's League National Elective Conference uh, that's been going on uh, this weekend. And uh, here is a news report uh, giving some context and background to the conference. The ANC Women's League Elective Conference is continuing at Nazrek in Johannesburg today. The structure's former president, Fatabile Lamini, is seeking re-election, and she's up against Tembeka Mkunu and Sisisi Tolashe. More than 3,000 delegates are in attendance, and President Cyril Ramaphosa is expected to close the conference. Our reporter Moloko Moloto is covering the story and joins us with the latest update. Moloko, uh, give us an update on what exactly is happening now. We know that elections uh, or results were supposed to be starting to be announced from 8.30. Uh, is that uh, program still running on schedule? Well, definitely not. It's uh, delayed. And uh, this is because there were complaints over the issue of uh, the delegates who ought to be here, particularly delegates from the Northwest Province, but it would appear that matter has since been resolved because we understand that delegates earlier, they adopted their credentials, which means that uh, they are now ready to proceed with other businesses of their elective conference. Now, before we try to speak to these delegates that you see behind me, I would like us to talk about the people who are on the, um, on the race to becoming president of uh, the ANC Women's League. We have Tembeka Nkunu, who is uh, the member of parliament and was previously the executive mayor of Utungulu District Municipality, now King Tetuayo in KwaZulu-Natal, and she was also the former Deputy Chairperson of the ANC in the Musa Gaza region in that province. She will be uh, competing for this position with uh, Sisi Dolashe, who is currently the Deputy Minister in the Presidency. But also the name of uh, Batabile Zamini, who was uh, recently or before the disbandment of the Women's League, he, she was a uh, president of uh, this particular structure. We will only know who of these three would have met the threshold in terms of their eligibility to appear on the ballot. But before we come to speak to these delegates, I want us to talk about what the remarks of Figile Mbalula, the Secretary General of the African National Congress, who today when he was opening this conference, spoke about uh, the performance of ministers in cabinet. He first uh, talked about uh, load shedding and said uh, Minister Sputa Ramokhopa is going to deal with uh, load shedding beyond the election, saying that it will be sorted out for good. And then uh, when it came to the Minister of Public Enterprises regarding the whole issue of uh, transport policy and removing the trucks from the road, he Figle Mbalula was saying that uh, if you don't deliver here, Praveen, you will be moved. And it would appear as if 
that did not sit well with uh, some people in some quarters because now we see the statement that uh, was issued by the ANC and Figile Mbalula himself tweeted it. He is trying to clarify that uh, when he mentioned Pravin, he did not necessarily uh, mean that uh, Pravin is being blamed uh, single-handedly for the problems that relate to transnet and rail and road freight, and he's saying that uh, it doesn't mean that uh, Pravin Goran is going to be removed. But let's listen to Figile Mbalula earlier when he was addressing delegates. The Reserve Bank says the repo rate stays as it is, and it says fix low shedding and fix the logistics of the country. And then it says move the heavy vehicles off the road to raise, and that is the policy of the ANC. Now I'm going to say to Pravin Godan, I was with him there, I was also a minister of transport. Comrade Pravin, move faster, or otherwise we will move you. Comrade Pravin, move faster and transnet, or otherwise we will move you. Muluko, the ANC Women's League was disbanded last year after its mandate expired. This conference has been postponed or moved four times. Um, and in that period of inactivity from the Women's League, surely members of the ANC who are members of the Women's League must have felt its absence or perhaps one of the items on the, the agenda is questioning the relevance of the Women's League and the rejuvenation of that organization. Yes. Well, the women in the ANC did not have organized voice because their structure where they can organize themselves as women of uh, the African National Congress had been disbanded. Now they have this opportunity to elect a new leadership that will represent them even in the National Executive Committee of the ANC Youth League. But let's speak to them. Some of the delegates are here. Ma'am, thank you so much for allowing to speak to us. I don't know, there's a long line here. You seem to be going towards the plenary. Why, firstly, are you lining up here? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, greetings to the delegates of the Women's League and the society as well. Here we are waiting uh, to enter inside to cast our votes. We will nominate or vote for the leaders that we are sure of that they will unite the ANC Women's League. They will rebuild and renew the ANC Women's League also nationally. Talking of electing leaders that you believe will rebuild the ANC, we are hearing of three names so far. The former president, Batabile Jamene Tembegam Kunu from KZN, and Sisi Sitolashe from the Eastern Cape province. Who is taking this? Obviously, Sisi Sitolashe is taking, is taking the lead, is going to lead with the collective. So, Sitolashe will lead. She will be the president. Are the numbers numbering? The numbers are numbering. We are sure of as women. We are resolute. We are not confused that Sisi will deliver. We are hearing that uh, uh, the supporters of Batabile Zamene are combining forces with the supporters of Tembegam Kunu to form a single and formidable uh, force. I've heard such rumors, but I'm not sure because I'm not that 
side, I'm supporting ESCC, so I cannot talk about Batabile and Tembeka. I cannot do that. But it's their case if they do that. Yeah, what is your name, ma'am? Where are you from? My name is Nombulelon Sunguzi. I'm from Western Cape in Poland. Right, let me speak to this other delegate. Come closer, ma'am. Thank you so much. Your name is Mabuzi. I am correct, right? Mutiba. You're from the Limpopo province. Are you coming with one voice united? We may not be united, but the majority is what we have brought here to this conference. And we are 100% behind Tembek Amkunu. Yes. We are behind Mam Tembek Amkunu and the collective, precisely because that collective has one of our own, which is Mako Mamakurupech yes. for DSG, and that is where we are mainly concerned. But as a collective of Wutembega uh, we firmly believe that our women will be liberated. How so? How so? I mean, she's been part of the whole collective of the ANC Women's, uh, uh, women's League. How is she going to see, uh, uh, define herself to a point that you will say we were correct here? Look, uh, uh, first of all, she sat down with her own and said, I am not here to lead as an individual. It's a collective effort that we must bring onto the table. And Limpopo is one of the provinces that is bringing majority of the delegates. Right? So as Limpopo, as KZN and other provinces and Mpumalanga, United we stand because we want to see a change. And Umam Tembeka is fresh blood. Yeah. Let me speak to one more delegate, if you can just step to this side. Ma'am, maybe come closer. Izamam. Uh, uh, I don't know, what is your name? Where are you from? My name is Francina Mahopa. I'm from Pumalanga, Dr. J.S. Muroga, what 15 Masabani Brand. Who do you support? I'm supporting Tembeka Mpunu. You might have heard earlier when I was speaking to the delegate who supports them. Um, uh, she is confident that they have the numbers and I've also seen a video of uh, where the delegates were being counted. It was a head count during a core meeting. They looked like uh, they were having the numbers. Does that uh, not scare you? No, I'm not scared because Tembegam Kunu has reached a threshold. Yes, and then we are quite sure that she's going to go through. And numbers are numbering. Numbers are yes, numbering. yes. And, and, and I want to talk about Batabi Zamene. You are saying Tembega met the threshold. Do you know if she met? Do you know if she is working with you? Yes, I know she's working with us because uh, our PTT members are working with her very closely. Yes, yeah. yes. All right, and going forward, what would be the key issues that you would really want the new leadership of the ANC Women's League to attend to, more especially considering the fact that we have so many challenges, gender-based violence, but also the, 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 the issues of unemployment that are facing women generally in South Africa. We want uh, the incoming uh, PNEC members to assist us with gender equality and all this uh, domestic violence and women empowerment. Yeah. We want all the women to be empowered. Yeah. I'm told that you are now lining up here to go into plenary. Uh, nomination is going to be open. Do you know, do you have any idea when uh, election of the top officials will take place? But also I'm told that there's a proposal to add the position of uh, the second deputy secretary um, the same way the Youth League has done and the ANC, youth, ANC has done. What is the, the idea behind that proposal? The idea behind that proposal is that we must 
follow other uh, NEC, ANC, NEC, and then ANC Youth League NEC. We must have the equal numbers just like them. And then the, 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 the problem which makes us to go through with these long, long queues, they want to check if we are the eligible uh, delegates who are supposed to vote today. They are going to check this uh, name text of us if we are uh, uh, the real uh, uh, delegates for this Congress. And that's a concern, is it not? Because I'm told that uh, the number of people who were inside that particular, maybe let me bring you in, Mabuzi, back. I'm told that uh, the number of uh, delegates or people who were in the plenary exceeded the number of delegates who ought to be here. Hence, they said, go out so that you can be verified physically. What does that say about the credibility of this conference? Are you not worried that you will have losing people saying that we had bogus delegation. I think uh, what you see happening right now, it is precisely to deal with that issue. We want to make sure that the people that are inside, that have the right to vote, are the ones that qualified to be here as delegates. All the bogus delegates, if they were, by the way, because I was not part of those who were checking credentials, if they were, they should not be part of the, of the, we don't want any disputes after this conference. We don't want our conference to be disputed as women's league. Here's another thing. A, a lot of people are watching at you as the mothers in the African National Congress uh, to lead by example. Figile uh, Mbalula has uh, repeatedly said that anarchy won't be tolerated. Indiscipline will also not be tolerated. There are two senior leaders in the PTT of the ANC Women's League in the Northwest who have had to exchange blows, physically fighting yesterday in the morning over the issue of credentials. That, what is it saying about you as women who ought to be uh, having this dignity as the seniors in the ANC? I'm hearing that for the first time from you. I, I, I haven't heard of that uh, blow, blow, blowing, and, and I don't know about that one. Yeah, well, Sigil Mbalula is saying that uh, they are going to discipline them. He doesn't dispute that. Maybe come in, let's speak to you and get to hear your views regarding this. Uh, you're from KwaZulu-Natal. You are showing us. What is, uh, who do you support here? You can put it down so that people at home can see you. Who do you support there? in this uh, conference and why do you think they should be the rightful person to lead the women's league i support comrade tembegam kunu for president i think uh since she's young uh she she she, she qualifies to be a president for us mm. and she will be able to fight uh, uh the gpa for us she'll be able to to, to fight the employment yeah. what is happening with the mamba tabila jamini her campaign is it uh, taking off can I not uh, speak uh, with other candidates? My, my candidate is only Tembe Ramkhon. Who, who, who are some of the people on the lineup, uh, on her slate, uh, of uh, Tembe Ramkhon? Okay, it's uh, Comrade uh, Lydia from Pumalanga, Comrade uh, SG and Comrade Makoma from uh, Limpopo. Let me, let me stop there. Oh, you don't know all of them. <laughs> all right. I, I, know, I know all of them, but let me stop there. All right. No, thanks very much for your time. Good luck with your conference. Well, Anli, the, 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 the conference is certainly proceeding. We have had that commitment from uh, the leaders of the ANC, Sigil Mbalula, who is saying, yes, there are delays. Yes, uh, there might not be enough time to even discuss policy. As we have seen with the conference of uh, the ANC in December, they have had to call 
what uh, is called the hybrid meeting. Um, provinces have had together and uh, via Zoom meeting and to discuss policy. The same thing repeated itself when it came to the conference of the ANC Youth League that was held here last week. They are yet to continue with uh, their conference. Even today, chances are that if they are still going to be electing the top leaders today, chances are the nomination for the additional members of the ANC Women's League National Executive Committee is likely to take place tomorrow and uh, voting as well as the uh, counting of their votes, which is a tedious process, by the way. It's not an, a straightforward thing, unlike when you vote for the officials. So chances are the president of the ANC, Cyril Ramaphosa, will tomorrow, will tomorrow um, close this particular conference without them having to discuss uh, policy uh, discussions. Well, thank you very much uh, for that very thorough report. Uh, Moloko Moloto covering the ANC Women's League conference for us and we'll continue to bring you updates on that conference as developments there uh, are made aware to us and as that uh, conference continues tomorrow. Welcome back. And that was uh, from Republic of South Africa, um, the African National Congress uh, Women's League conference is taking place uh, this weekend. And uh, the Secretary General of the African National Congress, uh, Fatili Mbalula, uh, delivered an, an address uh, today. Uh, let's go uh, and listen to the address from uh, the Secretary General of the African National Congress, Fatili Mbalula. Right. The ANC Women's League Conference gets underway at the Nazarek Expo Center south of Johannesburg to elect new leadership this weekend. The league has been without elected leadership since the National Task Team took over the running of it. Former President Batabile Jamini and Sisi Tolashi are the frontrunners for the president position. Let's take you there live. And as the African National Congress, we are proud to have a veteran like her. And Izolo Usipe Umpako, yesterday she gave us a good political report. When time came to say, no, it is enough, not that she's tired, but she said, no, I'm giving over. And uh, she did so. And when we ask her to lead these women of the ANC to a conference, she did so. So we want to thank her and thank her and say to her, Sis Balega, we love you as the ANC. Asifunwe tete makale ni londo. Sifunuku kalela ngo. Uguti siyakutanda mama. Wibambe mbogoto. Unga tinoa. Sisipane kakewe ya tandu kuza. Nalapa kum. Ima, ima, ima no pala. So unga tinoa ukuskuza sisipane. En unga tinoa umela inyane. Koba kutuelama weku weku na mato kipakati kwezi. Komreti. 
Mandisa Guni as delegates. The president today is in KwaZulu Natal. He will come tomorrow and close this conference. Whatever time that it will close, but Ramaphosa will close this conference. I was supposed to be with him in KwaZulu Natal. Uh, we are visiting the biggest church of the Shembe Church, Namtanji. Goba Banjulu Gabaya. Namtanje, C-A-N-C, we are visiting the Shembe Church. The Deputy President could not be with us here today because of family commitments. The National Chairperson of the ANC is in India. The Deputy First Secretary General, Nombula, is with me, but is running today a strategic workshop of the ANC. She will also come in and out. The first uh, TSG Marupini we gave, the second, Simnigazelom Sevenzukutani coordinate. The TG has gone also out of the country. We have sent a big delegation of the NEC here. Some of them I can see they are not here, but I'm marking the register. Ngoba abeko apa ndibatumile apa. Andibatumanga bazo mosha bafazi. Ndibatume bazo ningeta. Manimeti se inga collapse lendo yenu jengba kukoma hemi mkutifunegi collapse. So this conference will never collapse and like a... Like a religious person, I want to tell you that devil is a liar. So, comrades, Silapa, Sinatandabuz, we are here as the ANC United to make this conference succeed. So, I want to say to you, comrades, it has been a long time, and I want to thank comrades of the Women's League who served the Women's League that was disbanded. And I want to tell you that it should be the last time that the ANC meet and disband organizations. Yes, to disband a province, it should be easy, but never easy to disband an organization. The Women's League is the pulse of the women of our country, 
and the best representative of the ANC amongst women of South Africa. The Women's League was disbanded. And I want to also thank those comrades who were disbanded. Because when they were disbanded, they accepted, they didn't go and do things that seek to undermine the decisions of the organization. They didn't, as we always do. When the organization takes decisions and steps against us, we do our own things. So, Ubatavile, Nomio, Huabayenzangalon, they were disbanded. So, I also want to thank Usis Balega in the task that she was given, and also want to thank. Marupin and a team for the job that they have done. I want to thank the entity, all of them, because uh, we pulled them from all directions and gave them the responsibility to lead us to this conference. Coming to this conference, comrades, has not been easy. But today, I want to repeat in this platform, as the ANC, we are giving you back your ANC Women's League. We are giving you the Women's League that must lead the women's struggles. In a society where the revolution and our struggle is being distorted on a daily basis. It has been distorted, lies manufactured, and a great deal of determination from our opponents to politically annihilate the African National Congress. And uh, in the to defeat the ANC, we know that that defeat will never happen as long as the Women's League in Bogoto, it is there. What in Tabafaz, what in Bogoto, finish and clap. So I want to start here first, comrades, by giving you a good reprimand, but there is no reprimand. Dianibona, Nine's late party. Anilui Kakubi, Tinikati Lusugizor, Tikate Ababa Kezayo, Yaniva Niatula, Nitula Gamnan, Nitula, and a candidate Zeno, Ninga Kezi Bomama, Nis Patekaku, Sengova Biakes, Wagwa ANC. Comrades, there is nothing wrong to differ. But don't differ in that in the Matelecu, Ningamata, Bainto, Esnanango. You must remember that after this conference, even in our differences of leadership, 
we still need each other. You must never differ like there is no tomorrow. It is fine. Unga boni ngeli soli inye. Yabona zimbi ni telekeishine zambileza yobonu president. Ezo mama. Every time they go and see the president, they take pictures. Bas fake ku WhatsApp groups. Gulona lo, gulona loa. Bayas funa. Chongan, we have now arrived. You will elect your own leadership. And your own leadership will not be determined to bishop. We have one again, Nandi and Debate, Kakulu, Kandi, Prinisi Sanga. Sina seven months, Singenile, Sisbaleka, CNEC. Isanga, Sam, Sikrinile, but Abakas born. There are two Sanjay and Kenzindo. Bayakala, Nye, Nye, Umbalula, Nye, Nye. On behalf of the NEC, in the ANC, We must not do that. Comrades, it is healthy to differ, it is healthy and very good to be in the ANC. You must never hate each other to the point where you are inimical to each other. I see the beautiful provinces of the ANC here and the Women's League. Comrades, we have gone under difficult circumstances. We struggled in the convening of the conference, but because you want this conference. And there is no one who will defeat this conference. This conference is going to succeed. Because you delegates are determined to make it succeed. The ANC is determined too. There will be no conferences beyond July. Next week, Kutalaya Veterans League, a Youth League. Anyone with a problem must hold it till next year. I don't know when the election will take place. August or wherever, hold it, comrade. If you decide to stand in this conference and you are defeated, there is still a tomorrow. It's not over. If you attempt to stand and you don't make it, don't despair. Lieza Nagua Ipeshalab. He not like people 
inyaus netaka ngoba siyazazi conference zinjani umuntu zapha enethemba ukuthi uyawina aphume ngawinanga sothi nanje abantu abaqhela ubethwa ezikomfeni siyayazi lonto we know this thing called defeat but we are not going to tell women what to do women must determine their own destination you must decide you must convince each other politically ningazi apa nizonyula omavukengeni ngomso umuntu senimonyulile when you have elected a person in the NEC you see them on TV and they embarrass you you start to ask who's that you must know the people you elect and those people are going to come from your ranks that is why comrades we gave a task for people to convene and coordinate the women's league people who've got no interest usisibaleka has got no interest umarupini simonyule up samenza u second dsg kunzi kunzima konyulwa thina ntoza kuthi apha we gave them this task because they don't have interest to be elected we didn't give people who want to be elected so we don't want ukuthi baqopha qophe bayimoshe le nkomfu because that is what usisibaleka was determined to see what this conference is going to succeed and i want to thank you sisibaleka on behalf of the anc that uh, you have indeed from yesterday when we came even with a proposal that yesterday we must adjourn you said to no chesi ayivula lenkomfu sayivula izo and you delivered the political report so we are very happy about that comrades this conference is taking place when people and some in our society say that the ANC has not done anything the ANC has not delivered 30 years of useless ANC 30 years of ANC misrule and misgovernance that is a total disinformation and a lie that is peddled to our people and our people some believe this lie now when we talk about women in our country and society it is the ANC in this country up until today since the last 30 years and even before that that leads and still leads the struggle against gender oppression in our society nobody else you can go anywhere in the world even in the developed world there is nothing about women and women 
equality in society either than here in South Africa. The Women's League was the first in 1991 in Devon to say 30% and today we are talking 50-50. And uh, we will even go higher and higher. We've got 60 million people in this country. 60 million people. And 31 million of people living in this country are women. And African. More than half. And their positioning in society it must not only translate into positions, it must also translate into development at the grassroots level. We want to see women in the projects, in businesses, on the ground. When a woman in UNISA is appointed a vice-chancellor, Lenkabula, the Women's League must be the first to stand up and defend her. When a woman in UCT is vandalized, attacked by racist African woman, where are you? Nikupi Boma Mabe ANC. Sanu Tumango Tukule ANC Tumani also about fighting for the rights of women in our country. Stand up for women in business. When women in the boardrooms, in the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, are short-sighted, short-sighted, you must be the first to say no. Where is the ANC Women's League? Don't always fight for men to lead in the ANC. Nialwa, nanamsanje niliswa ngamato tagule conference. Charlotte Macleod. 
The first woman in this country, African, to be a black professional. Dibalandon, umasisul. Dibalantoni, dingagateti, dingagateti, ngomatikize. Winnie Mandela. Nina comrades, Aniboni Lord. We are talking about women in this country who have liberated us, who don't want to be patronized. The women's league must be in those struggles where our revolution today is being distorted. The ANC have intervened in this country and nobody will shift that course of history. We have prioritized the poorest of the poor and intervened through our po policies to fight poverty. You can have a load shedding in this country, but we gave our people, including in the, electric, in, the, in the rural areas, and connected them to the grid. The tap water was shared in the street where you live. We brought it right in your doorstep. And then we said that water for this particular liters will be for free. We prioritize the indigent. That is the policy of the African National Congress that we are implementing. We have built roads. We have built houses. And we're still building them. This economy has been attacked left and right. And they say we must not talk about it. Comrades, we were visited here by Isi Fokutua Ikovet. Ikosho Kosho. And it took millions and thousands of our people's lives. But we fought it. It took two million jobs in our economy. And today as I'm speaking to you, not in fish in fish into a into the economy is growing at 0.4% growth domestic product. It's on the recovery. If we were to be out of power, they would say we have been sleeping on the job. Because next year is going to even be better and better in terms of this economy. We are fighting inflation amidst the challenges in Russia and Ukraine. And Sis Balega spoke eloquently about that. To say that war is a war of imperialism. That's what she said. She said that war is the war of imperialism. And where are the women of the ANC? Those who are going to be elected, that is going to be your struggle. We just finished a dialogue of BRICS. Yeah, in Gauteng. All political parties that came, they said, the ANC cannot be out of power because if the ANC gets out of power, the African Revolution is defeated. 
We will work and support the ANC. Comrades, coalitions. We work with people that we thought we will never work with them in local government. But let me tell you, even the media here, next year we are not working for coalition, we are working for outright ANC majority. Not arrogantly, but politely, because the ANC deserves to be returned to power. Anyone else can stand and raise their voices, but the ANC, we will work very hard to ensure that it returns to power without asking from anybody. Decisive victory and decisive majority in this country. We have lost power, comrades, in the municipalities, in Johannesburg, in Pretoria, in Port Elizabeth. We have lost power in Egurulein. We must work to retain power in those areas. The coalitions are very unstable. Because majority of our people did not come out in their numbers to vote. We negotiate in terms of the law with 2% political parties. And they tell us what to do. I see today they fight Uguti. Why did Panyaza go to Bree Street? Why are a Bree Street? Kutwa no makanga ai, enukelelo i political party na ten percent. Ibolego i power. Kupma umtweti vini with bravery. When Panyaza come here again, I will take that mic. Didi yo. We are attending a ekola mic. Why should Panyaza ask political parties when people are visited by disaster? Panyaza must be here, but chate panya panya, bangen. Asibafuni oprimi ya baleleyo emsebenzini. Enesibakati ile bonge. Bandengo mloma ba primia. Asibaboni, sifuna benze lendo yanzo angu panyaza. Lenga nalisi opposition. Upanyaza, when I saw that Bree Street is cracking, in about 15 minutes they said the premier of Gauteng has arrived. That's what we want. A leader who cares about his people. Comrades, load shedding will be defeated. And it will be defeated. Welcome back. And that was uh, a address delivered by African National Congress Secretary General Fakile Mbalula. Uh, he delivered this address at the African National Congress Women's League National Elective Conference that is taking place uh, this weekend. That is going to conclude uh, our program uh, for today. You've been listening to uh, the Pan African Journal. 
worldwide uh, radio broadcast uh, on Saturday, July 22nd, 2023. And uh, we're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. And, um, of course, uh, if you'd like to have access to this program, uh, all you need to do is go uh, to our website, and that is at the Pan-African Radio Network. Uh, you can reach the Pan-African Radio Network at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. If you'd like to read the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, just go to our website, and that's at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. We'll close out uh, with uh, the legendary uh, Detroit uh, saxophonist, jazz master Charles McPherson from the 1964 album Bebop Revisited. This is Abayomi Azikawe signing off, and have a beautiful week.